0: Hi there, I'm Roger Fox and you're listening to Garden Better, the podcast from Better Homes and Gardens. With me is my co-host Jenny Dillon. Hi, Jen. Hi, Roger. How are you? Back for another session of uh, seasonal chat. So today should be fun. Now, in this episode, we're going to have a chat about native plants and which ones you choose for flower colour through winter. And we'll also set you straight on compost making. It's not hard to do. And you make your own plant food for free. Plus, later we'll talk to Angie Thomas from Yates about indoor plants. She's written a great new book all about them.
1: And later on, don't miss our chat with Milton Black, Australia's favourite astrologer. He's coming on with all his tips on gardening by the moon. You're listening to Garden Better.
0: With winter just around the corner, many gardeners give up on the idea of flower colour during the cool months, but there's quite a selection of flowering plants on offer at that time of year, and some of the loveliest of them are Australian native plants. Jen, what do you think about native plants for winter colour? Have you got any favourites? I've
1: got lots of favourites. I
0: know you like native plants. <laughs> I do. Yeah, what are some of your good ones for the cool Well, plants? I
1: think you can actually see a hint of wants to come now with the Banksias out. There's lots of. In oh, late little, autumn? Yes, yeah, there's yeah, lots of little Banksias out. But come wintertime, you get those beautiful birthday candle Banksias.
0: I love them, and they're a small growing size. You get as the well. little baby
1: ones, yeah. and they're terrific. Oh what they call them, the dwarf variety. They do. They're yes. compact,
0: you can even grow them in pots. For that yes, reason, yes, you
1: can. And then, but if you've got enough space in the garden, get the giant ones. The giant birthday candles—they're just stunning. Just this—I just, whenever I look at them, I imagine the looks on the faces of the first white people to come to Australia, and yeah. they saw what kind of plants that grew. Just. So naturally, and they are fabulous.
0: They banks really, Banksias really do look like candles, don't they? Coming in winter, they look like the sort of Banksia erica I used to grow, mm-hmm. which is a mid range screening shrub. And it just looks like it's covered in these glowing golden candles in the middle of winter. Birthday candles is the little one you mentioned. There's another one called honey pots, yes. which is also really cute and yeah. a great dwarf. So they look good in tubs or or planters of all sorts. So, mm. Yeah, they're yeah.
1: great. As, as, even just if you've got a little low sort of um, raised garden bed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that's great winter colour, but it doesn't end with banksias. Lots of the Grevilleas, Well, Grevilleas have a habit of flowering in almost every month of the year. Different yeah. species,
1: it don't is, they? they? They are really, really difficult. They annoy me a lot because some. <laughs> well, and, they need trimming every once in a while because, Thank especially you. with my garden, they're really prolific. But you're not supposed to trim them until after they finish flowering, and you think you're just about ready to go, and then that starting up again.
0: Yes, uh, that advice we give gardeners of trim them back after flowering is a problem with plants like that because they never stop, do they? No,
1: not the grevilleas.
0: Absolutely. And there's two new ones I noticed that have come out. I saw them mentioned recently in some info. I was sent there from Osbreed, that company that breeds lots of Australian plants. One is called Gold Cluster and one is called Jerry, Cherry Cluster and they have uh, appropriate uh, coloured flowers and they look really cute and apparently they bloom well during winter. Um, that really tall growing one, Misty Pink, does well in winter oh, too. Do you lovely. like it? Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's a really soft pastel pink. It's mm. beautiful, isn't it? Mm. So they're gorgeous. Now, what other faves do you have among native plants or uh,
1: Well, I love the Corias and the crow crow Crowias. I know. Hard to say at the same time. At the same time. (laughs) (laughs) But I love them, you know, for two reasons. One, the flowers are spectacular, but two, they're they're members of the same family, the Ritaceae family, which is the same as oranges and mandarins and lemons, which means they have that beautiful citrusy smell about them as well.
0: They do. The foliage gives it off, doesn't it? The
1: Corias, I mean, you can get them. They're called native fuchsias. And if you can just imagine a fuchsia tree growing on a native plant or a fuchsia flower growing on a native An plant, plants, yeah. but they last all through winter. Now you can get the white ones, the, the traditional ones. They kind of look a bit ordinary to me. I like the red hot ones. Yes, yeah,
0: so do I. I like the white one for its foliage colour, which is slightly greyish and it looks yes. nice in coastal gardens. I see it used Gorgeous, in yeah. coastal gardens quite a lot. But I agree. The more stunning uh, courier is the bright ones, like the oranges and yellows and reds, those sorts of tones. Yeah,
1: They, they remind me of, of the tips of fire pokers. Yeah. Absolutely. And they just sort of really light up the winter months with their just their blaze of colours. They're gorgeous. Now the other thing that is really good about both banksias and the Coriers is they produce nectar at a time when there's yeah. so few for the birds. For the birds, yes, birds just go crazy if you like Honey birds eaters, in the garden.
0: Eastern spine bills and all those interesting ones that come looking for nectar. Yeah. So it brings lots of that, it brings lots of colour and movement to the garden. Now we mentioned corias and crowias. Crowier spelt like it sounds, like crow with an A, a at the end. Um, now, they're different. Uh, again, they're a sort of bright pink and they're a very simple little star-shaped flower. Yeah,
1: just lovely they're little sweet. sort of waxy starbursts that, you know, they they come out in pale pink to, to rich purple. Yes, there's a couple of different colors and yeah. they're
0: good. And again, a relatively compact size shrub. They're yes. good for low borders. I guess you could grow them in tubs. I've never grown them in containers, but they're the right size that you could. Yeah. And so yeah. they do really well. Gravillias we've looked at. Um, certainly go to you. Uh, one hint I will give if you like winter flowering natives, go to a native flower nursery. There are specific nurseries for this group of plants all over Australia and you get the best selection, don't you think? And if you go in the right season, you see them in flower.
1: You see them in flower. Yeah, yeah.
0: so that's one of my big hints at the moment. Um The other things that come into bloom in winter are wattles. Everyone associates them with early spring But there's a few that come in in winter. One of them is the Queensland wattle, Mm -hmm. and the other one is the well-known Cootamundra wattle, which starts late in winter. It starts in August, but still it's a wonderful splash of gold when the days are sort of a bit cold and gloomy, don't you think?
1: It's fabulous. And you know what? I've had people saying, oh, the climate's changing, the climate's changing because the wattles are coming out in winter. But they've been doing that for centuries.
0: They have. I think we get it confused because I have a feeling wattle day was designated as the first of September, and Mm. a lot of wattles are actually finished by then. So I'm not sure. Who came up with that decision? Now, another winter flowering native is the hakia. Do, do you have a? Are you a fan of those?
1: I love the hakia, yeah. hakia, whichever way you want to say it. I guess I say hakia because I come from New Zealand. Yes, of course. But um, <sighs> generally, most of them are really pretty ugly plants. <laughs> <laughs> they are, out there, they're and they've spiky got and spiky, spiky little um, leaves. Really yeah. horrible. Yeah, birds love them for that reason. Yeah, but when they flower, they are just so fantastic. They're yeah. just beautiful.
0: Is that uh, Hagia Lorena, I think, has the sort of – is it the pincushion flower they call it as well? Little balls yes. of pink yeah. flowers. Yeah. And it's really sweet. And you're right. A lot of natives, they're not the most attractive foliage plants in the world. Some are, but uh, it's when the flowers come out that you really get yeah. a bit of a thrill. Yeah.
1: Another one like that is are the tea trees, the leptospermans, They're yes. not very attractive when when they're just sitting no, there.
0: They're a bit wispy looking, aren't they? Yeah. But the flowers, they're the closest thing Australian plants come to almost a blossom look, I always think.
1: That's the one thing Australia and New Zealand have in common because in New Zealand they just grow wild abundantly in the wild, in in the bushes and along roadsides. Of course. And it's called Manuka over there. Of course it and is. And it hence, makes the best honey.
0: Hence the honey. That's right. We don't have a lot of uh, genera of plants that we share between the, the the two countries, but you're right, the leptospermums or tea trees do. And there's a beautiful white flowering one called Cardwell. I think that's the yes. cultivar, yeah. which puts on a really stunning display. So they're gorgeous. Um, and uh, hardened is the only other one I was going to mention. Now, it's a climber mm-hmm. and it comes out right at the end of winter. It's often tossed into the spring selection, but it's got those that's gorgeous an- purple flowers or you can get a white flowering one. You
1: want to see my flowers of them? They they just look so stunning. Yeah, I they, should get
0: you to hand your phone across the studio <laughs> desk now, except our listeners won't be able to see it. But do you grow white or purple? Or I, have- buy,
1: I grow both. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've got them growing everywhere. I've got them growing along the front fence. I've oh, got wow. them along the back wall, everywhere. It's
0: and, fantastic. And, again, you can plant them in a the tub if you want to or let yeah. them scramble over a frame of some sort. Mm. So that's just a few um, of our faves. But there's a lot on offer, and I would urge people to um, check them out at this time of year. And if you can find a, a, a specific native plant nursery near where you live, it's a great spot to have a look. So be inspired. Now gardens actually make their own plant food. It's called compost and of course it needs a little help from the gardener. Autumn, when lots of deciduous trees and shrubs are shedding their leaves, is a great time to put nature to use by starting your own compost heap. Then when springtime rolls around, you'll have your own homemade supply of natural fertiliser. Are you a compost obsessive, Jen?
1: Um, I want to be.
0: You're I'm, a wannabe compost I'm obsessive. A wannabe.
1: I'm, I'm <laughs> really intrigued by this whole thing. I have tried several composts um, in the past. All of them have failed. Right. I've since boned up on it. Yes. And there's a lot involved. There's, there's so much involved in having a compost. It's just not a matter of throwing things on the heap.
0: It can get a bit technical, but I was thinking that we keep this chat relatively simple for the people who are intimidated. But I think one of the best things, if you're not sure, is to buy a compost bin or tumbler. Yeah. Because it gives you a good area you can start. Otherwise, you've got a big pile of stuff going and it's difficult. Um, And I only mention it as being a good topic now because all those autumn leaves are falling. If you've got a garden with them, what a great starting point. But I think one of the main things that we might as well mention front up is autumn leaves are dry material. And then kitchen scraps are wet materials like uh, vegetable peelings and fruit pulp and all that stuff. And you need a combination of both. And that's one of the critical things, isn't it? Is. it? You need yeah. the brown stuff and, and the, the green, green stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah,
1: It's called the ratio, the nitrogen-carbon ca- um, carbon ratio, ratio. But that is the scientific stuff. Just think of it as um, the carbon is brown, nitrogen is green. Of course. And um, you need about a third of green about two-thirds of brown.
0: Yes, and it can get really technical. If you look on uh, websites, they start talking about 25 parts of one to two oh, parts no, of, no, which is a there. head wreck. So you're quite yeah. right. It's about two-thirds of the carbon material, yeah. the brown stuff, and about a third of the wetter stuff, which yeah. is the green stuff. It does mean changing your discipline, though. You're not going to find generally enough green stuff in the garden, you do need to become a kitchen retainer as well. Do you find yeah. that's true? Well, in
1: winter wintertime, yes, because, I mean, grass clippings are good. Well, they're great. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah that's um, true.
1: But do, there's also a lot of no-nos about um, what you put on the compost. Yeah, there are
0: other things not to add. I don't know, eggshells are a classic one.
1: Oh, no, I think you can put eggshells oh, on Oh, can that. you? Okay, maybe shy. it's
0: with – oh, that's with worm farms. They yeah. don't like eggshells. Yeah, shells. it is. Yeah.
1: Um, but I, I caught my sister once throwing old lamb chop ODR. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Yeah. I said, rodents – um, so, don't put any meat, bones, or fish on your compost. Of course. Um, don't put any weeds because yeah. they will sit there for hours. And then, you, when the, everything's decomposed, you put it back on the garden and they'll just sprout up. They
0: have an amazing way of surviving oh. whatever heat reach, gets reached yeah. in the compost heap, don't they?
1: No pet poo? No. Especially if you're going to put it on a veggie garden. Of course. Yeah. And there's an interesting one I found out a couple of years ago was um, because I was talking about putting banana peels on certain types of, of plants as a type of food. And they said, don't put it on your compost heap. Any type of veg, uh, fruit peel, like orange peels, that sort of thing, because they've, they've been sprayed with pesticides.
0: Yes, I've heard the same logic. And I'm thinking also, as well as eggshells, uh, worm farms don't like orange peels no, as well. It's, yeah, it's too much worms citrus. don't like all that citrus oil. Yeah, yeah. So avoid things that have been sprayed. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess if you've got organic veggies, it's even better. Um, but the other thing I like the idea of, and again, not being a purist, but it's to build it up in layers, like a, a yeah. lasagna. A yes, that's a
1: good description. Yeah, yes. so you put
0: a layer of the carbon-rich things, the brown leaves and stuff. Then you, over that you put a layer of the green stuff. And then I'm a great believer in also throwing in a handful of blood and bone or manure mm-hmm. over that because you're getting a much nicer, richer combination, mm-hmm. given that you're sort of creating your own plant fertiliser for later in the season. Yeah.
1: And I think the finally the way you can tell that you've got a, um, a really good compost um, happening there is it's got to smell sweet.
0: Yes, they do. They do, so they that. do
1: smell sweet. Yeah, it's, it's, a really that, good it's compost. that lovely
0: earthy smell that mm. you uh, get used to as a gardener. You also do need to do a bit of maintenance. You need to turn the heap with a fork every couple of weeks. Every couple of weeks, yeah. yeah. And you do need to keep it at least reasonably moist. moist. So I guess that depends on the, the weather. But if it is dry, and certainly if it's a, in a compost bin with a lid, you will have to damp it down and turn it over. And use the opportunity to top it up with more of your lasagna layers and more handfuls of blood and bone or, uh, or manure. It just keeps it going nicely. Yes. Um, and then you have to kind of be patient, Jen, don't you? Because you just have to put it aside apart from this minor maintenance and let it rot down and do its thing. It, it, it ain't ready till it's ready.
1: No, and it takes about a year, doesn't it?
0: It really does. It's slower during the cool months of winter. But I just think now's a good time to start. Um, and by spring, you might even have some stuff at the bottom of the pile that's already mm-hmm. broken down. It's a wonderful food for the... garden and it's free so it's free it's free and not many things are so if you've never tried it before buy a bin or a tumba uh, and get your uh, garden refuse going and uh, and create your own manure and fertilizer by spring
1: you're listening to garden better
0: People love having greenery indoors and there's lots of research over the last couple of decades to show that indoor plants are good for your health as well. Both the plants themselves and the soil they're growing in help to absorb impurities from the air inside our homes. Well, my guest today, Angie Thomas, who's a horticulturist from the iconic Australian gardening company Yates, has written a no-nonsense book all about them called Top 50 Indoor Plants and How Not to Kill Them and she's here to talk about it. Thanks for chatting, Angie. (laughs) Hi, Roger. All right. I'll start with a big gambit question. Indoor plants seem as though they're back on trend. There are lots of markets and they're in lots of sort of hipster literature. Are they popular again?
2: Very much so. I love it to see all these great big markets that people are clamoring to get tickets for and they line up for hours. Absolutely. It's brilliant. But it's there's so much more than to that to indoor plants than just a bit of greenery. It helps you bring the outdoors in. So a lot of people don't have any room for a garden. Well, that's
0: right. These days with smaller houses and apartments, they are are your garden sometimes.
2: That's right. So you can be a gardener even with a studio apartment, which I think Mm. is fantastic. Also, indoor plants are very soothing and calming. So gardening outdoors has some really good health benefits and reduces depression and improves your mental well-being, and it can be the same for indoor plants as well, So which is great. I also find that it helps to soften hard lines of furniture. It's just very soothing. absolutely,
0: and fairly bland walls. They can sort of dress up and all sorts of situations inside.
2: That's right, and it also can enable people to nurture something. Mm. Um, Some people can't have a pet, and so plants are a really good alternative to have something to care for, really, really lovely. And there are so many fantastic decorative pots and different types of foliage plants. You can coordinate almost any theme inside with a plant. Brilliant.
0: Yeah, you're right. So they become almost an indoor decorating theme as Mm. as part of your paint colours and your furniture. The plants and the pots are important as well. And
2: they're they're good for you.
0: They're good for you. And I guess the other thing is they're probably introducing people, if they are in apartment dwelling, uh, and at some point they'll move out and have a real garden, it's kind of a starting point for a lot of people with plants too, isn't it? It is. You can get
2: familiar with watering and feeding and care and looking for signs and symptoms and things that might go wrong. So it is a really good stepping stone.
0: Absolutely. Now, if you're brand new to the world of indoor plant growing, um, you're going to want things that are almost impossible to kill, as your book title suggests, and I'm just wondering if there's a few varieties you think that might really get beginners hooked.
2: There is, and it's really interesting to see when I start to talk to people about indoor plants, sometimes the look of horror that appears on their faces. They remember all the plants that they've brought home with them that are no longer with them, <laughs> so it doesn't have to be that way. So what you need to do is start out with some really tough customers Things like mother in law's tongue. Now, that is a really unfortunate name for a fabulous plant.
0: Yes, it's unkillable, isn't it? it Pretty is much.
2: Brilliant. Mm. So, it tolerates being uh, left to dry out. It will tolerate low levels of light. It doesn't grow particularly fast, so you don't need to think about repotting particularly often. So, I would think mother in law's tongue is a really good yeah, one. It is Another one is uh, often sold as Zanzibar gem or a ZZ plant. I love the foliage of that. It looks almost prehistoric, these glossy green leaves. Again, it will tolerate low levels of light doesn't mind drying out, doesn't grow particularly fast. Really good plant.
0: It's amazing and I love it because it sort of appeared during the time I've been in the garden media not many plants have appeared. It seemed to come out of nowhere. And being a plant nerd, I'm told it's a monotypic genus, which means it's the only species in that genus of plants. It's clever it's plants. fabulous.
2: Really good. Other ones are things like air plants. Now, these are little plants that don't Tlandseus. actually... Yes, yeah, that right. don't actually require any soil to live in. So you don't even need to have a pot to grow it in, I've got some fantastic air plants and a little glass terrarium that's filled with pebbles. And I just wow. dunk I, them in. I think I need
0: to do that at my Oh, place.
2: they're brilliant. Mm. Or people hang them from the ceiling and all sorts of, uh, turn them into sea urchins. It's brilliant. It's ab- No soil required. No soil required. So they're thought. really good. Um, just dunk them in water once a week or give them a good mist and that's all really the, the uh, water they require. Mm-hmm. Other plants like devil's ivy, that's an oldie bit oh, of footy. Oh, that woodie. old favourite. Is that back? Oh, it is. Yeah, and, it, yeah. and that's a fantastic plant because it spills out of a hanging basket or a pot or um, shelfies or all the rage at the moment. So you've oh, got okay. the uh, the devil's ivy on a shelf and you can trail yeah. it over the shelf. I've and seen it, it going for
0: metres and metres
3: if it's oh, like that. it's hard. brilliant. And Amazing. It, and
2: it strikes very, very easily. So mm-hmm. that's another thing that people are, are getting into, striking cuttings of uh, things like devil's ivy, even in water. So it's a brilliant plant.
0: Oh, their first gardening lesson.
2: That's right. That's right. Fantastic choice of plants for people that might have been serial plant neglecters in the past.
0: Absolutely. And we've all done that. Now, listen, let's get into the sort of growing details.
2: Um, I'll start off
0: with position. Is that what the most crucial thing, where you place it within your house? Because it's not like every interior spot's the same. Some are sunbathed, others are really heavy shade and some are cooler and some are warmer. So what's the, what's the go there?
2: You do really need to match Your plant with your spot. Spot, So if you've got a dark, humid bathroom, that is not the place to grow succulents, for example. Of course. Um, They're for the
0: sunny windowsill. Yeah. So Mm. you've
2: really got to choose the right plant for your spot. Also think about how the sun changes throughout the day and also throughout the seasons. So a a sunny room in winter might be a lot darker in summer because the sun is a lot higher. Think about heating and cooling at different times of the year. Uh, A lot of humidity loving plants will not appreciate I right being next to a heater or the, the cooling breeze of an air conditioner. So you've really got to think about where you're going to place it. And you place. need to know a bit
0: about their background for that reason, don't you? The Zanzibar Gem that we talked about a minute ago, it loves really dry environments um, and a moth orchid likes humidity. So you really need to, to look up a little bit of info or read the label before you get into it, don't that, you? That's
2: right, because otherwise what will happen is you'll bring it home all excited. And, and end up
0: disappointed. Yes, mm. it will be
2: unhappy and it won't thrive. So really if you think about the place that you want to green up, inside your house and then find the plant to suit that and that'll be happier for everybody.
0: That's great. Okay, so we have got the spot right. Now let's move on to maintenance. What are the basics of maintenance and do you have any special tips given that you've just written the whole book about them?
2: One of the things that people can do to most quickly kill their new indoor leafy friend is water it incorrectly. So we either water them to death or leave them to dry out so they're like toast. So it doesn't have to be that way but you need to work out what your particular plant likes. So For example, maidenhair ferns are very intolerant of being dry for a microsecond. So uh, I plant my maidenhair ferns in a self-watering pot because it means they've always got access to a water reservoir or in a saucer with a constant source of moisture. Um, But... Plants like mother-in-law's tongue, if they are constantly wet, they will turn up their toes. So become familiar with the amount of moisture in your potting mix. And I do a lot of gardening classes with kids and I say to them, the best way to measure soil moisture is a very handy tool and it's called your finger. (laughs) So what you do is you dig around very gently in, in the potting mix of the plant and you can very quickly get a handle on whether the potting mix is dry and dusty or whether it's moist and that is the best way to find out whether you need to have more water or less water. It's as
0: simple as that really isn't it? It
2: is it, it is so and match your watering with the type of plant that you have so watering is really, really important. All right. And what about
0: feeding? People often get
2: a little bit confused
0: about this. Indoor plants don't need lots of feeding, but they do benefit from a bit, don't they?
2: They do. Um, They will perform a lot better if they're fed as plants in a pot will run out of nutrients uh, after not too long a time. And if you feed them, they their foliage will be healthier, they will be more resistant to pests and diseases, they'll look a lot healthier. So, if And you, that's the
0: whole point of having them, to look fabulous. So, that, yeah. That's
2: right. And it, it, sometimes it can be as simple as uh, putting a little bit of Thrive in a watering can and and feeding them um, every two weeks or every month, depending on what type of plant it is, a really easy way to water uh indoor plants is what I do is at home, I've got a, a bucket and I make up some fertilizer and I dunk them in there.
0: Yeah, great and, idea. And
2: what that does, it feeds the plant, but also wets the root ball. So it's all nice and moist. And then I know it's had a really good feed and a really good water.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, it sounds wonderful. Well, I love indoor plants. I'm more a fan of the foliage ones than flowering ones because I find them easier. And if I make a disaster and kill them, I just go to the markets and buy a new one. I don't know if I should admit that. But anyway, for anyone who wants to know a whole lot, more about growing indoor plants. Angie's book is called The Top 50 Indoor Plants and How Not to Kill Them and it's published by HarperCollins. Thanks, Angie.
2: Thanks, Roger. Gardening
0: by the Moon with Milton
1: Black.
2: Hi Milton, how are you?
3: Very well, Jenny.
1: Right, so we're here to talk about moon gardening and I think you've got a little tale to tell me later on.
3: Yes, we have. We've got a little tale about cucumbers, which you'll find very amusing. And a great gardening month this one's going to be, especially for the remaining months, from the 14th right through to the 31st. Gardeners have got it made over this period because you're going to have the above-ground crops and below-ground crops and you've got your pruning times and that's what we're going to do. So... On the 14th, the moon's in Virgo, excellent time for transplanting because as the moon now is in its first quarter and actually rising up to the full moon, the moon slips into Libra on the 15th and 16th. Now, if you're transplanting anything around the house that needs to be transplanted, do it on the 14th and the 15th. But the 15th and 16th is also very, very good for the above ground crops. Now, if you're wanting to plant your winter vegetables, your peas, uh, your spinach, and even in the, the, the warmer climates, your lettuce, anything that grows above the ground, the 15th, 16th, 17th, and 18th are perfect days for above ground crops. And it's also very good too for Anything to do with, uh, um, you know, cleaning up and and uh, putting a little bit of fertilizer around your garden at the same time. But I do feel that uh, the full moon on the the nineteenth is a no no day for planting. So you don't plant anything on the the full moon. The moon moves into Sagittarius on so the twentieth. Is there
1: anything you can do on the garden in the garden on the nineteenth? Just sit and relax well, and enjoy. Well,
3: well, yeah, just relax and enjoy, or you can do pottering around. But it's best to go and do what you can. Go and have lunch or something. Go <laughs> and have, a, have, a, have, a, have a long lunch because you can't really do anything in the garden on the full moon. It's just a, a bad time for doing anything, really. But on the 20th, the moon moves into Sagittarius. Now, that's another good transplanting day, for a, for especially for below-ground crops. Now, if you wanted to transplant trees, etc., then the 20th in the moon in Sagittarius would be good because then it slips into the moon slips into Capricorn on the 21st right through to the 23rd. And that's an excellent time for root growth. And it's very good for any plants uh, and uh, produce that grows below the ground, such as turnips and swedes, beetroot, those sort of plants. So that's an excellent time. Then the moon moves into Aquarius on the 24th and the 25th. Now, those are watering days. You don't need to do anything really uh, there, apart from a little bit of fertiliser, etc. But then the moon goes into Pisces is uh, for the last below ground day on the 26th so that's the last day of the month is you can plant a few bulbs and uh, below ground crops again like beetroot and sweets and turnips etc now when we go into the last quarter of the moon on the 27th that's a day no planting another lunch ready yeah, another lunch, but get ready from the 28th right through to the 31st. Now, that's the busy, busy time because you can really get your rose gardens ready and uh, it's an excellent time to prepare for roses because they'll be coming in over this late May going into the June period and there's some beautiful varieties around this year. And shrubs and trees, you can fertilise Really heavily fertilize and also prune. Now, if you want to prune back some uh, stuff for over the winter months, this is the time to do it between the 28th and the 31st. Real heavy pruning. And of course, consequently, um, as I said, bulbs. Uh, the last day of bulbs is the 26th. But it's a very variety period for gardening and it's a good month for gardening. So you've got the above ground, below ground, you've got your transplanting and you've got your lawns too. Now this is the last period for lawns on the 21st through to the 23rd. Excellent for root growth and lawns. And if you... um, Keep your mower up uh, a a shade or two when you're mowing between the 28th and the 31st. Excellent for mowing. And remember, the lawns are not growing so heavily at this time of the year. This might be your last mow for the the season. Probably would be, Jenny. But the best thing, if you've got some of those flat weeds in the lawn now, Go and buy yourself a good bag of uh, sulfate of ammonia and spread it over your lawns. And I can issue, and don't water it in immediately. Let it sit for a couple of days, then let the rain water it in. If you haven't got rain, perhaps water yourself. But then... You'd wait a couple of days, would you? Yeah, I'd leave it a couple of days. Let it burn a little bit because it's not going to hurt because it's a root growth that you're looking at, not a surface growth. And of course, consequently, uh, the um, weeds will turn over and turn their toes up. And then by the spring, you'll have the greenest lawn in the street with that sulfate of ammonia on too. So that's good. So it's a really, really good period for anything to do with above ground, below ground, tree Transplanting this month, but just stick to those days. So it's bountiful May, basically, isn't it? It is very, very full. An absolutely superb time. And I do think that um, even some of the, um, uh, you know, your bulbs and that that come up, like the old daffodils, you can spread those out now, put them away, or clip them down a little bit. But it's good for all the garden maintenance this month too, especially from the 28th to the 31st. Don't forget to turn your compost, with compost around the gardens and that too. Excellent, excellent month.
1: Right, so now um, anything special that you think we should be planting this month?
3: Well, I'll tell you a funny little story. Now this is uh, well first of all a rule of thumb you know for a, a moon thumb. root vegetables like carrots, radishes and beetroots and and fruit vegetables, tomatoes, peppers and zucchinis cucumbers, those sort of things um, when you're doing your um, fertilizing a little bit of phosphorus and potash for those, and leafy vegetables like lettuce, spinach and cabbage need a little bit of nitrogen so when you go to your garden uh, place, make sure that you have those sort of things in there to to feed your plants. Mm -hmm. But look, I've got a little funny thing that comes up about cucumbers. Oh yes, every everybody knows cucumbers are prickly, and of course uh, anyone that's planted cucumbers knows how prickly they are in the garden, especially when you try to get a little bit of a weed around them and things like that. So gardeners will do just about anything to please the steifer and the vegetable there, that's for sure. So consequently, the old folk wisdom yes. uh, was has countless rules regarding planting of cucumbers to protect your cucumbers from pests and make sure that they grow big and prickly. Mm. Oh, you plant them before sunrise, the day before day the full moon, yeah. uh, on the 18th, so the full moon comes up on the, no the 19th. And the reason for this is that they apparently are better to handle, but there's a secret, there is a secret, that the person that actually plants them must be a male, and he must be a young really? male, and he's got to be <laughs> naked. What's <when, laughs> <when> <laughs> <laughs> now, can you imagine? Could you imagine in Canberra? In the, could you imagine in Canberra in the you know, before the full moon, freezing out there naked, trying to trying to plant your cucumbers? No, thank you. I, I think I'll just uh, I'll just spray them.
1: Goodness <laughs> me, yeah, these other wee little cucumbers. But <laughs> <nice. laughs> well, it's an old tale. That is amazing. Funny. I had never heard that before. <laughs>
3: yes, it's an old wife's tale, That one. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Milton. You're welcome, Jen. Have a good gardening session, people. Thank you. Bye.
0: Okay, so that brings us to the end of the episode and this particular series. I've had a great time talking about gardening. Have you, Jen?
3: I've had a terrific
0: time. Thank you. So we will be back for another season of podcast later. Isn't that right, Jen?
1: Yes, it is. Coiled spring.
0: Coiled spring. I like the pun. Okay, now in the meantime, make sure you rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out when we're next back on air for season two. And in the meantime, happy gardening.
1: Happy gardening.